0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. A quick reminder that Too Many Games is only a few weeks away, and I'll be doing a panel Saturday at 3.30, so if you're in the area, please swing by and check it out. Also, there is a nightmarish amount of construction outside my window today, so if I rush through any sections, uh, please excuse me. I just don't want to have to burden all of your ears with all of this crazy noise. So let's jump right into it. First up, Jacob Proctor just released an open source schematic for a PlayStation Multi-Out breakout board that's compatible with PlayStation 1, 2, and 3, where the outputs are applicable. So basically it's a board that plugs into the Multi-Out and breaks each of the pins out to different connectors. So it has a D-Sub connector for VGA output, it has component video connectors if you're using a PS2 or a PS3, Uh, Or I believe you could even break those out to RGB if you're using a PlayStation 1 and want to use RCA output connectors. And it's got optional sync stripper and how you could get the sync, whether it's Luma or Composite Video. So overall, it's one of those boards where um, if you need one of these, you probably don't need any explanation at all. You just see it and your brain goes, oh, I could use that for my Extron setup, you know, my dual outputting, whatever. Uh, So it's just kind of a neat thing, and I really hope we get more of these for more consoles because while this solution is definitely not for everybody, I think most people would be fine with just a regular cable, there's definitely needs uh, for a lot of different unique scenarios, be it streaming or switches or whatever else. So thanks to Jacob for open sourcing this, and it looks like a pretty cool piece of equipment for anybody that needs it. Well, put on your tinfoil hats because we have a conspiracy theory in our midst. It looks like the new Genesis and Mega Drive Mini is going to include an arcade port of Darius, and while M2 says it's a completely in-house done project, people are speculating that it could be a licensed version of a fan-made project by the indie dev Hyde Cade. So, you know, anybody that's seen the, the documentary that My Life in Gaming has done and anybody that's followed M2's work over the years would probably trust them more than not but you know at the end of the day somebody's paying the bills for this and that who is who always has the final say whether we like it or not so who knows maybe whoever's paying the bills said look m2 you know do what we tell you take this arcade port stick it on there and you know that if that is the case that does beg the question what else could be licensed software emulation different ports of the games so you know, after after following M2 for so long, my gut tells me it's probably just worth believing them, and I'm certainly not going to jump to conclusions like the Kotaku article that just comes right out and says the Genesis Mini will include a fan-made game. But uh, yeah, kind of a fun, weird conspiracy theory, and I guess we'll all find out in September when the Genesis Mini comes out. The Mr. FPGA project has just gained support for Sega's SVP chip, which means it could now run Virtua Racing the first time any FPGA implementation has been able to do that. So it's uh, the Mr. Project never ceases to amaze me. I absolutely love how much progress they're making in such a short period of time. And I really hope that, you know, years from now, we look at back at this as the start of true one-to-one hardware archiving and being able to recreate the experiences for the future, pretty much, because that's what you get for open source projects. It's always going to be out there. So thanks so much for uh, to SRG320, who did the core for it. Um, I haven't had a time to check it out myself, but I'm definitely looking forward to. The team behind Mugen, the Genesis homebrew fight engine, has just posted a video showing its current progress, and it's looking pretty awesome. So while it's just a basic progress update, I hope this ends up in us being able to get a bunch of cool homebrew Genesis fighting games. Modern Vintage Gamer just posted a video analyzing the footage Hyperkin showed of their N64 upcoming clone console, and it looks like they're running Moopin64, which is an open source software emulator. And I kind of have mixed feelings about that, because I think they'll probably get better performance out of a software emulator than they would trying to do some kind of N64 on a chip. However, You'd have to have something powerful enough to run that emulation, or else you're going to get glitches and it's not going to run that accurate. So, uh, anybody interested in that, Modern Vintage Gamers videos, a perfect summary of it all. Um, I just, you know, every time I hear the word Hyperkin, I just assume they're always going for the cheapest solution just to get their quick cash grab out from the customers. And you know, Obviously that drives me crazy, I wish they'd spend a little more time and a little more money to be able to have something that is cheap enough for your average N64 fan to want that doesn't suck. So we'll see when it comes out if, it, uh, if it's any good at all, but I definitely recommend watching the video if you're into that. Unfortunately this next bit is pretty negative, but it's something that I think is really important and information that people need to know, especially if you own the USB GD-ROM apparently the creator at some point in its lifespan implemented a firmware self brick timer so that after a certain amount of time i'm assuming a certain amount of boots or something you get a firmware is obsolete message and i'm sure this was done not maliciously but just done as a way to say all right in case somebody clones this thing i could have new firmware out there that won't work with the clones and then eventually it'll all expire which kind of seems like an alright idea until you realize that real life happens. Sometimes people quit projects, you know, what if he gets hit by a meteor, you know, I'm not being a little bit facetious, but the fact is that you can't predict the future. And that means that whoever had bought a USB GD-ROM didn't buy a piece of hardware, they basically rented a firmware for as long as the creator supports that firmware and that piece of hardware, which, if that was told before people bought I still wouldn't like it but you know what you're getting into but that was never told and it was a sneaky switch in the middle of a few firmware updates which means the people who first bought this didn't have that firmware um and you know the creator of this has has a long reputation of being a hard person to work with uh and doing not so nice things i guess and not only you know, this isn't a one-off thing. I'm not trying to uh, to talk bad about somebody for one incident. Google this person if you want to see all the drama. And he's kind of continued his bad attitude with this. And in fact, not only did he admit to having a firmware that expires, he bragged about it and even took a shot at the GDMU creator, saying if they did the same firmware expir- expir- uh, expiration, his device wouldn't have been cloned. Well, that's absolutely not true at all. I mean, the devices are gonna get cloned no matter what, uh, and it was just kind of a douchey thing to post. So uh, I guess after blowing it up on the internet and people you know, people posting videos of it, uh, I missed it. I think this happened first a few months ago, and then I just re-found out about it. So uh, sorry for anybody out there who dealt with the problem, but well, we finally kind of put it out there and made everybody wear. And the same day, he posted a firmware uh, that did not list the feature change. Uh, it just said people asked me for a change in background color from menu to black. Didn't admit it in the firmware update page, but in emails to people said that, yes, this newer firmware uh, shuts off the auto brick timer. Um, also, I don't really, I can't really understand the broken English, but I believe that a few other people that emailed, emailed him, he did confirm that it's, uh, it's no longer there, and that he never put it into the 3DO ones. Now, I can't really decipher this weird broken English. It's all in the post if you want to try yourself, or if you speak Russian, you know, feel free to email and confirm. But I believe he said, ah, I never bothered to, to put it in the 3DO. So I think, and I hope, 3DO users uh, of the optical drive emulator would be safe with that. But it's just such a turnoff to me. Every, every way that this was handled start to finish, and how it's continuing to be handled. So um, I'm not going to support this project. I didn't really like the fact that it cannibalizes, uh, you know, good working parts in order to make this work, whereas the GD uh, the GDMU is something you could just buy uh, and not have to worry about, you know, ruining a drive or anything like that. So, you know, it's kind of a hard thing. I, I wish I wish people would think a little bit before acting like this, but who knows. So the most important thing by far, if you have a USB GD-ROM with one of the original firmwares, uh, may- maybe just leave it alone and you know who knows what else he put in this new one. And if you have one of the ones that has the firmware that bricks itself and requires you to update, I guess try the newest firmware and see if that fixes it. But kind of stinks. I wish this was a happier post about a new feature or something, but whatever. Brian from RetroUSB has just announced that he'll soon be releasing a new firmware update for the AVS console, which is the 720p FPGA NES. So many acronyms. Um, It's the first firmware in a couple of years, and it's going to include PAL compatibility fixes as well as the color palette update capability through the Scoreboard app, so you can add whichever palettes you want. And Brian jokes that you know this is to appease the very few crazy people that want this. And while he's obviously just joking around, the truth is, anybody that knows and has seen the different color palettes available for the NES wants this feature. They just, you know, they just don't complain about it because they don't want to bother you. But I promise you, Brian. Everybody wants this feature that owns an AVS. That's one of my only complaints. And while the AVS is actually an incredibly stable console and something that I have always given high praise, there were a couple of things that I always asked about it. Color palette was number one because it didn't seem to be too hard, but I also wanted different output resolutions. Now, I know I'm not an FPGA engineer, and there might not even be space on the FPGA to do this, but I really also wanted two more video modes for the AVS. The first would be 480p, just so people who have CRT VGA monitors could just buy a cheap adapter and be able to get some sort of support for CRT gaming, and even if you turn the scan lines on, who knows, maybe it'll look good enough for most people. But I also wanted original 1-to-1 240p output from the NES. And while this might seem strange to ask from an HDMI outputting console, there's two reasons that I think are very important for this. Right now, in the short term, you could rig up a solution that'll go from HDMI to RGB, and the cost of that solution, plus the AVS, will still be cheaper than buying an original NES and installing a NES RGB kit. So it's very feasible that somebody would want to buy this with the other extra parts that you might need to use on an RGB monitor, both to save money and have a brand new console that they don't have to mess with. Also, in more forward thinking, as time goes on and as scalers get better and more intricate, it's probably going to be better to take that original signal and manipulate that to higher resolutions. And while it won't make too much of a difference if you just want to display it, adding things like scan lines and CRT filters will become way more uh, reliant on getting original little pixels, original resolutions, and everything else. So um, I've asked Brian before and kind of... He didn't seem to think anybody would want that, so I'm just asking politely now and reminding him that just because people don't bother you doesn't mean they don't want it. Uh, But if it's possible, please consider, because I think the AVS is a device that could really have a future, and I hope that people continue to use it. Next, Greg Collins has just posted a new design for the GC plug case. So just a very quick background, the GC Plug was a device designed by Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI, and in its first iteration had a 3D printed connector that could plug into the GameCube's digital port that was good but hard to assemble. And then when Insurrection Industries released their very high quality connector, that project was updated and the older case didn't fit. So first, Ben Abrash posted a case of his own, which is linked right here, and now Greg just has his spin on the design as well. So if you were into making your own GC plug and you wanted another option, a case, here you go. Designs are available for free, or with every, as with everything else, you could buy them directly from Greg's laserbear.net website, as well as his other 3D printed designs. And speaking of Greg, he's completed work on his Genesis 2 Sega 32X riser. And that's something that anybody who owns a 32X is definitely going to want to get one of these. Because just by itself, the 32X is such a finicky little mushroom turd. And then if you try to put it on a Genesis 2 without the plastic riser to make it fit snugly, it'll kind of flop around a little bit, and sometimes it won't turn on, could crash a game. So you really want a nice, snug fit and it's really hard to get the original adapters anymore. If you find them on eBay, they're usually very overpriced, so I would much rather give my money to Greg, and uh, that's what he's done for both the Model 2 as well as the Model 3 3D printed design he released a while back as well. Because if you have a VA1 Genesis 3, you could add back 32X support with a couple of mods that are a little tricky. But I love the Genesis 3, and I think uh, having 32X on both of these is pretty awesome. I think Greg's still working on the CDX version, which I guess is a little bit more tricky. But overall, now we have 32X risers to make them snug on all of the consoles. So if you're interested, buy it either directly from LaserBear or print out the design files yourself. SEGA had recently shown off a mini Tower of Power. So it's the uh, the Sega Mega Drive Mini that'll be coming out this September with a non-functional but connectable Sega CD and 32X. And I gotta say, I love this. It might be silly, you might laugh at me for saying it, it's totally cool, but uh, I think a lot of the appeal of these mini consoles, especially the junky ones like the PlayStation, is the fact that you have a miniature thing that kind of looks neat sitting on your shelf somewhere. And while I don't really have the room to display those, I'll make the room to display this. I just, I love the look of the Genesis, and the, while I'll probably leave the mini 32X off, cause I I don't want any more nightmares of 32X, bad 32X use, I just think having a mini Genesis and a mini Sega CD displayed somewhere is hilarious. Um, and I absolutely love the idea. So at the moment, it's only supposedly going to be released in Japan, but who knows, maybe they'll release it to the US as well. So if you're watching this Jimmy Hava, pick up one for me. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll go out there and uh, get it from you directly this September. <laughs> Cosmic Katamari has just released a couple of 3D print designs for people looking to play Super Famicom games on a SNES Mini. Uh, at the moment, if you want to fit Japanese Super Famicom games in, all you need to do is either snip the plastic on the inside of the SNES or remove the plastic piece altogether. Um, I guess Cosmic Katamari is like me and doesn't like cutting anything, regardless of if it's on the inside or not. So he just removed the inside. But because there's no support for the different shape of the Super Famicom cartridge, you could sometimes have freezing or it just won't boot at all. So his idea was to leave the inside plastic piece off and have slip covers. One for when there's nothing in there, so it's now essentially a dust cover. And then another one for when Super Famicom games go in because it keeps them positioned properly. And then if you want to use regular SNES games, those will actually fit right without flopping around so you don't have to worry. So it's a pretty cool and interesting way of going about doing it. Um, The designs are up there for free for anybody that wants to download it, Uh, and I'm just glad there's more choices to do stuff like this. Developer Francois Lanette has been working on a follow-up to the Amos programming language which, if I gather it correctly, is kind of like BASIC, but it's designed for the Amiga, Atari ST, and others, which essentially just means a much easier way to write programs for those computers. I have my TRS-80 over there, which I'll eventually restore and do a video on, and that was my, my first personal computer, and that had BASIC on it. And as a little kid I thought that was awesome to to write my own programs. I didn't write anything. I copied something out of a manual, but it was a great learning experience and I think anybody at any age wants to mess with stuff like that. Languages and things like that are a fun way to do it. So if somebody's creating a language that's able to do that on, you know, combining things. So I want to learn a different programming language. I love the Amiga. I want to mess with something. Let's do it all at the same time. I think that's pretty neat. So uh Thanks to them for for working on this project and thanks to Vanessa for writing the post up because once again I'm very lucky to have a bunch of different contributors that have a wide variety of expertise. I would have completely missed that, so thank you all. The team behind the Checkmate A1500 Plus Modern Retro Case has just shown off the finalized designs, and I believe this case is something that's designed to house modern computers in a retro-looking case. So you could put a Micro ATX motherboard, a Raspberry Pi, or even things like an Amiga 500 inside of this to have a retro look. Um, it's pretty awesome and if you have the room for something like this and want the retro feel it seems like a great thing to buy, so check it out if you're interested. Justin from Console Kits just posted a video and a corresponding write-up about the upcoming at Games home arcade cabinet, and I'll admit when I heard the word at games, I had that same vomit reaction I have when I hear the word pound. But there's some things about this that leads me to believe that it might not stink. And I'll give the short, short version, but if you're interested in this, definitely check out the video in the post. But it seems like the person or people behind this are trying to use really good quality components to preserve the experience. And while you might all be sick of hearing me say it, the experience is what's important. At the end of the day, numbers and lag and you know what components you use... Those are good things, those are good metrics to judge things by. But the bottom line is if you go up to an arcade machine and you have the same experience and the same feeling as a real arcade machine then you've won. And also, I tend to give a lot more leeway to the experience of arcade emulation versus console, because it's just not feasible for everybody to have every arcade cabinet that they want. You could easily go out and get a Super Nintendo or whatever in a regular home console and have a great experience. So I'm extra hard on those clone consoles because it's already easily available to people. But arcades are not. So as long as the controls still feel the same, there's not a tremendous amount of lag, and everything really works the way it's supposed to, then I think it might be a good shot. Um, You know, I always tend to overlook things like screen tearing and visual glitches when everything else is good about it. And I was just at, I walked into a random arcade in New York the other day. They just had a sign, like, arcade machines below. And it was a bunch of people pretty much glued in flat screen TVs into older arcade cabinets. And it stunk. It didn't look good. It didn't play good. I'm sure the flat screens weren't even in, uh, weren't even in game mode or anything. So it completely ruined the experience. This might not. So I guess this is a much longer way of saying keep an open mind this one might not stink. Uh, check out the article if you're interested, and I'm looking forward to trying it myself. Someone has just posted 3D printed design files that allow you to utilize off-the-shelf parts and an RJ45 network cable to make a Virtual Boy extension cable. Now, last year Kevin Mellet had released his design and 3D printed heads for a, a Virtual Boy extension cable, but it is going to be a little bit more expensive to build in small quantities and a little trickier. So this person went about doing it by taking a serial port and allowing you to pull the pins out, put it into this custom 3D printed connector, and then affix that to the underside of your Virtual Boy. It seems pretty neat, and it seems like something where if you already had those parts in a 3D printer, it might be worth slapping together. And most importantly, I'm just happy that there's choices for all this stuff. Um, I could certainly see a use for this in that I install an RJ45 jack in one of my arcade sticks and use that as the connection between the Virtual Boy and the arcade stick. So in fact, I'd only have to make one end of these. But the more choices you have, the more people get to fulfill what they need for their situation. So check it out if you have a Virtual Boy, and especially if you have any custom fight stick that you've made for it. Because I think this might actually be a better solution in that scenario. And I think, at least in my personal opinion, just a basic Virtual Boy extension cable, you might want to look more towards Kevin's designs. Keftris has just released a new firmware for the Mega SG and went on a live stream with Smoke Monster last Saturday to talk about it. So if you're interested in hearing from Keftris, definitely check out the live stream. And the full list of changes are in the post. Uh, But basically, there's a whole bunch of bug fixes and tweaks, as well as a different way of using scan lines that allow them to be uh, more adjustable. So I believe the scan lines have pretty much been redone from scratch. Uh, But other than that, a long list of great features. And uh, this is the official firmware that doesn't allow for the cores. I'll make sure to keep everybody in the loop when the unofficial firmware appears miraculously from space. Samson 7.1 just posted a guide on how he used an open-source controller to use a JBC soldering cartridge. So the short, short version is that JBC soldering equipment is a little bit more specialty and some people might prefer to use it, but they could be very expensive. So a full kit could be $500, and going the open-source route and cutting a couple of corners might be able to get you a very similar experience for just over half the price. So, anybody looking for an alternative in soldering equipment, definitely check this out. Um, for me personally, I'm still really happy with my Kesker T12, and I actually have the same desoldering pump that uh, that Samson Seven Point One shows in the uh, in his picture, the ZD Nine Fifteen. I've had so much luck with those. I'm not switching at all until I have a specific reason to. Um, but there's obviously more people that have more needs in uh, different ways or different things that they want to use. So if you're interested in the JBC stuff and want to save a few dollars, maybe check this out. Well, that's it for this week. I think I was all right keeping the noise to a minimum. I only had to cut one or two things short, and I think I only had one punch in there, but. Ah, you know, that's the trade off of living in New York City. You get everything you want within a few minutes away and a deafening roar all day long that you just can't hide from. So, whatever. Anyway, just another reminder though that I will be at Too Many Games and I hope to see everybody there. I'll definitely be there Friday and Saturday. Uh, my plan is to get there on Friday kind of wander, hang out. Definitely, you're going to be at the Psycho Stick Show. You will absolutely find me front row there. Um, And Saturday, I will be at Dan and uh, Christoph's booth, the Black Dog Tech booth. Uh, I'll try to be there on Friday as well, but i kind of be rotating between hanging out at the booth and just wandering about. And once again, Saturday at 3.30 is the panel, and I have a few cool ideas for this one, so I hope people will enjoy it. But Anyway, as always, thanks so much for watching and listening. I really appreciate all the support, and I'll see you next time.